Let's pray as we come in to our sermon for today. God, we thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for this season that we are in. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to share your word and to share your gospel to the people around us. We pray on that today as we reflect on what it means that you are our saviour, on what it means that you are the one who came as God with us to save us from our sins, that Lord, you refresh us, you strengthen us, you renew us, you speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's just set a little bit of context. The way that we're going to reflect on Jesus as saviour is three invitations that the saviour invites us towards, three invitations. With that, let's pray. Uh, rather, sorry, let me tell you a story. What is happening today? I'm all over the place. One John, John, pray already, then say pray again. Okay, last weekend. Last weekend, I was hanging out with Sun uh, Fung Iris and Nathan, um, and I was drinking peach tea. Nathan's a baby, okay, in case you all don't know. And I was drinking this peach tea from a glass bottle. And as usual, within minutes, uh, I finished my drink. Uh, no, within seconds, I finished my drink. Uh, and Nathan was sitting next to me, and he was going, Got my drink? And we tried to tell him that it was finished. To that he said, Nathan, see? Then you must show and prove to him no more. And then he looked at the empty bottle and went, no more. And Nathan got something right in that conversation. As Christians, we like to think about faith. And faith is important. But we think about faith as believing and hoping in something that, thing, as, as something that is unseen. But that doesn't mean that seeing isn't important. Because while faith is the way by which we have been saved, seeing is the way by which we are going to change. Seeing is the way by which we are going to change. That just as Nathan once he had seen that empty bottle for himself, his response was definitive, no more. In the same way, as we think about Jesus Christ today, the first way we want to dive into this reflection is to think about what it means to see the Saviour. To see the Saviour. Because it is in seeing that it invites us into response. There was a French philosopher in the 1940s by the name of Simone Weil. And she once wrote that the most important task of teaching is to teach what it means to know. Okay, la, philosopher, la. what are you talking about? What does it mean, teach what it means to know? Teach and teach. La. But she was pointing towards this. That there's a difference between knowing something in our heads and actually experiencing it. There is a difference between knowing that starvation exists and experiencing starvation for ourselves. And what she was pointing to in saying that it is to teach what it means to know, she was pointing to, the, to encourage teachers to bring their students as close to experiential knowledge as possible because when they experience, then they know and that is what it means to truly see something. It's only in knowing that we can say we truly see something. And the 1 John passage opened with this. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Saviour of the world. 
And when John wrote this, in all likelihood, he was writing this to believers who were facing some form of persecution. And the letter is dated to a time when the Christian community had already been kicked out of Jerusalem. And yet John was writing to this community saying, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. He was pointing to them in the time of persecution, in a time where they were being oppressed, that far beyond simply knowing in their heads, they had seen and they had experienced the love of this Father who had come as the Savior of the world. It wasn't talking about, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know He's the Savior of the world. Like, like we say we go and buy something from the hawker center and then we say, yeah, we, we know the auntie that sells the thing there, but actually we don't really know that auntie as a person. See, John was telling these Christians, we have seen, we have truly experienced this God and now we can live to tell about it. Now we can live to tell about it. And there's no story in the Bible that captures the idea of seeing, of what it means to see the Savior, other than the gospel passage that we heard earlier. Where Simeon the prophet received a promise that he would not die until he had seen this Messiah. And as baby Jesus is presented to him, immediately we sense the drama that's building from the text. We sense the excitement, the contentment, the fulfillment that Simeon has, like straight out of that scene from the Lion King, when they're raising the baby up into the air. And Simeon says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your words, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Listen to that awe in his voice. Listen to the fulfillment of the great anticipation that in his hands was hope for all humanity. That this hope that he had heard about, this hope that he had heard about, this hope that he longed to see, he held in his hands and he saw that living hope. And if we look at that passage again, scrolling through from verses 26 to 32, all the way we see the words seen or variations of that word. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Look at the way the gospel passage uses that word see. You obviously can't see death as in I look at it, I stare at it and I smile. He talks about seeing death. He's talking about Simeon actually experiencing that. That he did not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And the seeing there was a literal promise. Go down to verse 30. It culminates in, My eyes have seen your salvation. He held the Christ child in his hands and he saw the hope of the world. That's what it means to see. That's the invitation that this Savior that we celebrate invites us to, far beyond just knowing about Him in our heads, but to see Him for who He is. He invites us to look at Him with fresh eyes. See, this is not just some story that's applicable to the Christians then. We too have seen the Lord. 
as we look back in the way that we have experienced Him in our life, as we look back this year alone, when we come into this Christmas season, it is an invitation to see afresh this God, to see Him with fresh eyes, to reinvigorate our souls, to truly see Him, that we can say, as that song goes, I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves. And that's not to say that for some of us, maybe we're going through a tough time right now. Even if we look back, we just can't bring us ourselves to actually believe that God is good because everything around us is just falling to pieces. Because the things in our life that we experience make us doubt that. Well then, this Christmas, this Christmas, take it as an invitation. An invitation to rekindle the fires of our souls to see this Christ child for who He is, to have that Simeon experience, to know Him truly, to say, I have seen the Lord, the beautiful baby that is the Savior of the world. Because that's the invitation, to see the Savior. And as the passage goes, having seen the Savior, we're then called to share the Savior. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. The word for acknowledgement here can also be translated as to confess or to publicly declare. Don't need to bother how that Greek word is pronounced. But it can be translated to confess and to publicly declare. In fact, as a phrase, because of the way the Greek is, it's not a single word confess. The full phrase says, if whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Why? We go back to the verse earlier. When John says, see and testify, they were never meant to be separate conditions. This isn't just about duty. It's not saying because you say, therefore you must do. When John put see and testify together, they weren't meant to be separate things. They were things one and the same. Because his point was that true seeing leads to testifying. True seeing implicates us in the doing. They are things that ought to flow from one another. And we don't need to think about that as a high lofty concept. We just think about the way that we relate to one another. The idea of seeing leading to involvement, seeing leading to doing something about it is ingrained in us. Let me give you an example. Okay, let's say, for example, I know, uh, let's say I know Dean. Okay, okay, I know Dean. Let's say I know Dean. <laughs> I know Dean, and I know Dean loves to paint, right? And the next time that someone walks into our church and he, is also, he or she is also a painter, the natural inclination is, I'm going to connect the person with Dean. Or like, let's say, uh, Caitlin, for example. We, we take it up a notch, okay? Let's say we know Caitlin, and Caitlin, for example, needs some help finding a job. Her, her character in the Christmas play needs some help finding a job. Okay. <laughs> and we hear a job that would suit her, Natural inclination is recommend her for the job, 
right? We can completely choose to ignore that natural inclination, but the fact is that the thought, before we can even stop ourselves, has crossed our mind. And this is something that theologian Steve Garber points to being a biblical pattern. He points to a pattern of relationship, revelation, and responsibility. And we can see it all through the Bible. Right from the beginning, God had a relationship with Adam and Eve. They were created in His image. They were, it was revealed that they were to have dominion over the earth. Their responsibility, be fruitful and multiply. God knew Abraham. He revealed that he was going to be a blessing. He had a responsibility to leave the place that he was in. God knew Moses. He, he revealed to him that he was going to deliver Israel from Egypt. Whether Moses wanted to do it or not, he was sent to speak to Pharaoh. New Testament, Joseph as in father, human father of Jesus. Mary will have a child born by virgin birth. He was to raise the child as his own and accept Mary. The idea of relationship, revelation, responsibility, that once we see and we know this Savior and He has been revealed to us as the Savior of the world, true seeing, true knowing that He is our Savior leaves us no choice but to respond with telling the world. We can choose to ignore it and just not care. Every single character in the Bible could have chosen to ignore it and not care. But the reason John puts those things together to see and to testify is because if we truly see, the only right response is to testify. Either we ignore, we are ignoring the right response, or we haven't truly seen. Classic movie maker Hitchcock encapsulates this idea in the show The Confession. I have never watched the show. I'm just telling you apparently what the show goes, what the show is about. Uncle Jackson maybe can confirm whether this is correct, because I think he would have watched it. Uh, <laughs> a murderer goes to a confession booth and tells the priest he murdered someone. Then he taunts the priest by saying, <laughs> Now you must not tell because you cannot tell what you have heard in the confession booth. And the whole tension of the show lies in this question, what will you do with what you know? What will you do with what you know? In the same way for us, what will we do with what we've known? What will we do with what we have seen? Let me put it another way. During World War II, a German commander by the name of Adolf Eichmann was in charge of operating the trains that led to Auschwitz. We all know what Auschwitz is, right? No one needs a history lesson. We all know concentration camp. So he was in charge of sending the trains to Auschwitz. And through the whole war, his job was to send the trains on time to Auschwitz. When he was put on trial after the war, this is what he claimed as his defense. With the killing of the Jews, I had nothing to do. 
I never killed a Jew nor, or a non-Jew for that matter. I never killed any human being. I never gave an order to kill a Jew or a non-Jew. I just did not do it. He claimed to have absolutely nothing to do with their deaths. He claimed that his singular job was to make sure that the trains move on time. He feigned ignorance, but he was charged nonetheless. Now, this is not meant to undermine the atrocities of the war. But if we reflect on ourselves, when we ignore what we have seen, when we ignore what we know, and we reject the opportunity to share the gospel, are we some twisted reflection of that German commander saying, all I'm doing is living my life, what? All these souls that are presented to me that I can present the gospel to, ah, I'm just living my life. True being implicates us in the doing. To see and to testify are things that go together. They are things that are one and the same. The idea of having a relationship with God, He reveals to us He is a Savior. It naturally implicates us with the responsibility to share. So the question then becomes, what does it mean to acknowledge? What does it mean to confess? Theologian David Jackman writes it like this, it depends on a doctrinal confession concerning the whole person of Christ on which the whole experience of God actually depends. And further, the mark of that reality is a life that expresses personal faith in Christ. Big words. But it basically means, means this. When we talk about confessing Christ, when the passage says acknowledge, it's not just saying, yes, I know He is Lord. But it refers to a lifestyle that reflects that He is Lord. It refers to the personal expression of our lives that the way we live shows that we belong to Him. Or to borrow a phrase from our liturgy that we confess that He is Lord in our thought and word and deed. And sometimes when we think about confession, when we think about acknowledging, we sometimes think about how many people have I brought to Christ? As we go about this Christmas season, let's understand that conversion is not a gauge of our faithfulness because conversion is the work of the Spirit. But what can be a gauge of our faithfulness is how have we shared? Who have we shared to? I'm not saying we need to be kaltong. You try eating dinner with kaltong, the server come to you and serve you chicken, he'll look at the server and say, ma." I'm not saying we need to do that. But it matters how we are declaring our faith. It matters that we are confessing to the people around us who is king. Last week, we were away for our youth leaders retreat in JB and we started by playing go-kart. And Louis and Jenna had gone up two days before um, to have their own holiday and they took their own grab down to the go-kart and when we reached, they were telling us they had this really nice conversation with their grab driver and the conversation ended, the grab driver was Buddhist but Louis told Jenna, let's offer to pray for her and they did. 
Confessing Christ doesn't need to look like, Jesus died for your sin, Jesus died for your sin, every step of the way. But it can look like the little acts, praying prayers of blessing, doing things and, and loving them in a simple way that shows them that our Saviour is Christ. To see the Saviour, to share the Saviour. Finally, second half, to savour the Saviour, SSS. Mm. See the Saviour, share the Saviour, savour the Saviour. Verses 15 to 16. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Two things to point out here. When we acknowledge, when we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, this is simultaneous action. This happens immediately. We can have assurance that God lives in us as we confess. God lives in them and they in God. They are not separate things that happen. They are things that happen in, the, in one and the same action. That as we confess our Saviour, we can be assured of His presence. But I want to dive in on that word, rely. The ESV writes it as rely. The NIV version that I read earlier expands on that word in a much longer way. It says this, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. It's interesting that actually that is the word believe, but the ESV translates it as rely. What they're trying to capture is the essence of it saying, the essence of it saying that as we know God more and we experience this love, we grow to believe it all the more. We grow to, in that sense, rely on it all the more that as we see and sense the presence of God in our lives and we grow in that day by day, we can rely on that and in that sense deepen our belief, a belief in that. If we want to think about it in an analogy, think about, I guess, a, a trustworthy investor. He gives you a pitch, he gives you the benefits, and you're like, okay, you take $3,000 and you invest it for me. He comes back to you, one week later and says, I have $30,000. Then you'll say, okay, take another $3,000, do it again. And sooner or later, if that is exponential, then you say, take all my money. Something like that. But with something so much more valuable and so much more unquantifiable, which is the love that God has for us. And it's an invitation to say that as we confess and as we declare, we will sense the assurance of His presence and we in, can grow to rely on that love more and more. And if that's the case, then in this Advent season, it's an invitation to think about what it means to have a relationship with God, about what it means to truly have a relationship with Him. 
that we aren't just called to serve Him, we aren't just called to please Him. He's first and foremost saying, my son, my daughter, come, have a relationship with me. That as we think about Christ as our Saviour, He invites us to see Him for who He is, to share the love that He has, but He is saying, do that from a place of love. Do that from a place of relationship, a place where you can take time to savour me as your Father, to savour the Saviour. Charles Wesley, in that classic Christmas carol, pens the words, Veil in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. That word, see. Veil in flesh the Godhead see. He came as a human being in our form as Emmanuel, as God with us, not simply so that we can treat Him as a distant Saviour that saves our lives, but to invite us into relationship. That He veiled Himself in flesh so that we might see God in our lives. That is the richness of that line, veiled in flesh the Godhead see that he is saying that this God who is above all came as Saviour, wrapped himself in human form so that we can relate and see him. He intended to be equally God and equally our Father who has a relationship with us. He invites us, as Timothy Keller puts it, into a deep, intimate, multi-dimensional bonding. In other words, He invites us into communion. So in this Advent season, when we think about Jesus the Saviour, let us be reminded to see Him for who He truly is. And be reminded that in seeing Him, the reality of that character will change us and will result in the confession of His goodness that comes naturally. And it doesn't necessarily flow from a place of obligation, but it flows from a place of deep relationship. That we are invited to see the Saviour, to share the Saviour, to savour the Saviour. Because when we think about Christ as Saviour, He did not just come to save us from sin, death, and despair. But He came to save us into something. That He didn't just save us from the depths of sin. He came to save us into new life with Him. He came to save us into new purpose as we share with Him. He came to save us into new relationship as we savour Him. And as we sing this song, let's come together to reflect and to declare on Jesus Christ, our living hope. And on our ways out today, as a way of preparation for next week, 
all the prayer requests that we have put together from the past few weeks for the Christmas, they're going to be available outside. Just pick a post-it pad and let that be your prayer request for this week. As you begin, as we begin to share the Saviour together. Let's stand. And let's just use this song to declare and to reflect on Jesus Christ, our living hope.